0: This week, Mehul Rivankar from Qualys is with us to discuss defense strategies for combating ransomware. Then, Whitney Joy Smith from the Smith Investigation Agency joins us to talk about surveillance, investigative research, GPS tracking devices, and more. In the security news, Microsoft adds automated mitigations for exchange servers. Senior U.S. cyber officials support mandatory breach reporting. 2021 has broken the record for zero day, but maybe that's a good thing? Speaking of which, Apple patches some zero days. Lithuania warns against using Huawei and Xiaomi phones. The FCC pays companies to ditch Huawei and ZTE gear. The latest on cybercrime, and UK researchers find a way to pickpocket Apple Pay. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly.
1: This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Keeping up with security issues across thousands of web assets without the right approach to web application security is a daunting task. Get ahead with web vulnerability scanning automation from NetSparker, a leader in dynamic and interactive application security testing known for its ease of use and accurate results. Detect a wide range of vulnerabilities in all legacy and modern web applications, address security bugs at scale by automating the confirmation process, automatically prioritize vulnerabilities, and assign actionable tickets to the right developers in their native workflows rapid remediation. For more information on how to scale application security with ease, visit securityweekly.com forward slash NetSparker.
2: Hey, welcome to the show. This is Jeff Mann, not Larry Pache, excited to introduce, not Paul Asadorian, but a man who clearly liked to play with label makers when he was a kid, and who knows, maybe he still does, Mr. Adrian Sawaba. Did I say that
0: right? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. So so my handle, uh, Zawaba, is the worst misspelling I've ever seen of my last name. Sanabria.
2: <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, that intro, it also Jeff. looks like a domain with your little sign back there. I'm like, oh, cool. Can you register your Twitter handles as domains? That'd be fun. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you should be able well, to. I think there's a TLD for that. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah, and and now there's uh for cryptocurrency, there's like domain like things that you can buy also. Not not quite sure how all that works, but they're going fast and you gotta register soon. <laughs> so yes, welcome to Paul Security Weekly. This is episode seven twelve recorded on Thursday, September thirtieth, twenty twenty-one. Uh as Jeff pointed out, I'm the host today as Paul is using his quarterly Get Out of Hosting Card this week. Uh, I think he gets one of those once a quarter. I think it's been exactly three months since I did the uh, the last one. And um, also joining us today is Mr. Tyler Robinson.
4: Jeez, we let Paul have time off even in the corporate world. I know we're kind of under new He's management. I don't know. That seems like this has his name on the show. Like, I don't even know if that's an option at this point. Adrian's Security Weekly. This <laughs> yeah, didn't
0: we change it last time? <laughs> Every time I get? host, we change the name of the show, and he has to change it
3: back. Well, the problem is that we've already got an ASW, so we can't really do that. Sorry.
0: Mm. Uh, so SSW Zawaba's <laughs> Security Weekly. Zawaba's Security Weekly. There you go. SSW, and that <laughs> is uh, Mr. Josh Josh Marpet joining us as well tonight.
3: How are you doing, Josh? Pleasure. Happy to be here. This is exciting.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Uh, we've got some uh, very uh, interesting interviews today, definitely. Uh, excited about both of those. And I had a lot of fun putting together the uh, the stories for the news. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, I've got some, uh, some wine here with me. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to try and relax as much as possible, you know, uh, hosting somebody else's show for them. who else is hosting (coughs) Uh, some announcements some announcements InfoSec World 2021 is proud to announce its keynote lineup for this year's event hear from Robert Urjavek plus heads of security at the NFL TikTok U.S. Department of Homeland Security Stanford University and more plus security weekly listeners save 20% on digital pass registration Visit securityweekly.com forward slash ISW 2021 to register now. All right. So today we are talking about defense strategies to combat sophisticated ransomware. With us today is Mehul Ravankar, VP Product Management and Engineering at Qualys. Mayhul knows vulnerability management and patching inside and out, having led teams at SaltStack and Tenable in the past before joining Qualys. Welcome, Mayhul.
5: Hey, thank you for uh, having me on the show. It's always exciting to be on Paul's uh, Security Weekly, or should I say Adrian's Security Weekly? Yeah. For this week. <laughs> y-
0: yes, you should. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, uh, you've worked with Paul in the past. Uh, did did he, did he often just not show up for work like he did today? Is that is that a common thing for Paul?
5: He only showed up for work when he had to write the blogs, um, so he was always there. And I also worked with Jeff while I was at Tenable. Jeff was... That
0: was good. Yeah, oh, we we get a full on uh, reunion going on here. We do. Yeah, nice. If
5: if only we had Matt on the call, that would be a complete reunion.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, Matt's Matt's got his own show now. I've got my own show now. I've taken over Enterprise Security Weekly, so we're we're starting to divide stuff up. And uh, gone are the days when you saw Matt and Paul on on pretty much every podcast. Got some more yeah. some more folks helping out now.
3: Just a couple, just a couple, including the one you forgot to introduce.
0: <laughs> Jeff. Did I forget?
3: Who, who did I forget? to? No, I I, I said thank you no,
0: to Jeff. No. I Bet did you I? didn't introduce me.
5: I forgot Compliance Security Weekly. That's okay. I believe there is one more.
2: <laughs> All um, I was going to say, Adrian, was it's ironic that Paul decides to take today off because my wife is out of town. So... We could do the late news as late as we want to tonight because I don't have to worry about interrupting her sleep patterns. So,
0: so, so oh, you're wow. thinking I'm not going to go as late with the news? Is that what you're saying? That's well, that's in the past, the we've, we've
2: we I think the last time you were on, we challenged ourselves to actually end, end the episode on time at nine o'clock. Not that it matters to anybody that's listening or watching, you know, the recorded version, but uh. Yeah, let's just see where it goes. This is your show. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> well, Jeff, if you and me get into PCI, uh, we'll, we'll we'll go past nine o'clock.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very true, and, and we have so a, may, and we have a PCI article related article tonight. That we uh, do, uh, and I'm podcast. excited
0: about it. I'm, I'm glad you added that. That's that's some crazy stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Uh, but for now, um, Mayhul, um So talking about, we're going to talk about ransomware. And I feel like um, I feel like I can't go a day without talking about ransomware. But uh, obviously, it's the thing hitting companies the hardest. Uh, you know, it's, it's what companies are uh, one of the things they're most worried about defending against. Uh, so, you know, to kick things off here, um, I believe you have some stats on ransomware that we can use to kind of set the stage, set the discussion.
5: No, I mean, I do have stats, but you know, before before we get into that, I just want to talk about um, the 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 ransomware issue itself. I mean, I remember a few sure. years ago, these ransomware attacks were were rare. I mean, I, I uh, you know, it was not um, a very common occurrence. I believe WannaCry was the one that really started this uh, going forward. But now, as you said, you know the the number of attacks are uh, are increasing pretty much uh, pretty much every day. I mean, I was looking at a report from uh, a ransomware task force report, which was released earlier this year, and um, it looks like almost 2,400 organizations were impacted by uh, ransomware related attacks in just this year and the last year. Uh, even the uh, you know the number of Uh, ransoms that are paid are are increasing I believe they're at around 200 million or 185 million dollars and so on so so uh, the scale and scope of ransomware attacks has exponentially increased um, in the last one or two years and part of it I believe is could be related to um, COVID as well as uh, organizations had to uh, go remote they had to open up their systems to be accessible over the internet and so on, which has in turn helped um, ransomware attacks increase because of RDP, phishing attacks, and so on and so forth. So, um, the ransomware attacks are, you know, they are definitely increasing in size and scope as from what for what we can see.
3: Well, I mean, Rahul, uh, uh, Mehul, sorry, Mehul, um, you know, you've also got the one, did you see the thing where the, the ransomware gang offered a million dollars to this person if, or, or this group, if you bring ransomware into your company, we'll give you a million dollars out of what we take. Um, i have not so seen it, they're but you know, it is a little is, more it, it, aggressive, it, shall we
5: say? <laughs> I mean, the, the tactics itself, I mean, uh, I mean, I've not seen that particular report, but I've seen, you know, the tactics, um, ransomware attackers are using it are also changing so previously they would come in and break into systems encrypt the hardware and demand the money right so organizations started to go report to fbi or some other security organizations and then they changed the tactic and they said well if you if you contact the police or do something we are going to we are going to uh reveal parts of your information uh, and uh, and you know expose your customer sensitive data um, uh, or post it on the internet. So I've seen like the, even the tactics have changed for ransomware attackers before. So you provided a really good example. One million dollars is a lot, but I've also seen um, the the ransomware distributors using different um, tactics to extract the ransom uh, from from the victims uh, in the last year or so. <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, there's, okay, so when ransomware started, you could actually get customer support. They actually had tech support lines set up so you could get, oh, well, I can't use the decryption key. All right, hang on. Let me log into your system. How? Oh, did I forget to tell you? We still have access. Don't worry about it. We'll fix it on the way out. And they would log in and they would decrypt your files for you and then fix the bug on the way out because they got their money from you. They were very professional. I mean, I'm not saying they were nice people, but they were at least very professional about it. Now you have ransomware that uh, is it not Petya that doesn't decrypt no matter what you, it's just, it's encrypted and we just want you to send us the money. Okay. Enough so it's that. it's, it's changed it drastically. That.
5: I mean, this has essentially become like an uh, a, a, like a very professional operation. You know, we recently uh, the Conti ransomware came up. It has become a ransomware as a service. I mean, they you know they provide the infrastructure uh, for you to break into organizations, and they pro- probably collect twenty or thirty percent of the ransom, um, and then they leave the rest to the people who are trying to break in and uh, in fact, these systems. So this is, I mean, Conti is a great example of ransomware be- becoming almost like a professionally run organization where they bring yeah. in and they start to offer the infrastructure. You know, they have their TOR networks, they have their uh, command and control servers. Um, you just tap into that network and um, demand ransoms from uh, organizations that are victims.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the big concern here, like where we've seen it grown to, I think in the early days, ransomware, you know, was an opportunistic thing, you know, and they, they'd set up uh, watering hole attacks or send out phishing attacks and things like that just to get kind of initial access to, to networks and things like that. Or they would target individual computers, you know, for, for 500 bucks or something like that, you know, and what we've kind of evolved to look more like pen tests. You know, the way they get in, the way they pivot, the way they use Active Directory, you know, to get access to uh, more systems in the organization. And ransomware is is really like step 17 in this process. And what we're, you know, I want to talk a bit about today is how we can disrupt that process uh, potentially or, or prevent it from getting that far, uh, you know, in, in some of the earlier steps by uh, closing up some vulnerabilities they might use or, or Um, you know, shutting down some attack surface, you know, that they commonly use. Because we also have some really good data on how they do all this stuff now. You know, MITRE's published a bunch of stuff on it. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, individual security vendors have published uh, very specific details on exactly what vulnerabilities they're using, um, you know, how they're jumping from step to step, how they're getting, you know, that initial access to the network. Um, and the other interesting thing is, you know, a lot of times you think of a single crew doing all of these steps, but really even that's broken out, you know, to where somebody gets that initial access, sells that initial access to somebody else. Then they get in, they do the kind of pen test portion where they pivot around, they, you know, maybe deploy the ransomware and, and maybe the data that they exfiltrate off the network, they don't sell, they hand to yet another party uh, to actually sure. sell that data.
5: Yeah and you know you know we, we i mean at college we've been looking at this uh this aspect of how do how, how how can organizations limit their exposure uh to ransomware attacks And to understand this better one thing organizations need to realize is you know they're not using a lot of sophisticated techniques uh we looked at the data and it boils down to 3 you know, like if you look at all the infection vectors that they typically use to break into our infect system, they, they come down to three key infection vectors. One is, obviously the top one is RDP, uh, remote desktop uh, protocol enabled uh, on uh, on your internet-facing assets. And, you know, you, you made a brief reference to it. If they cannot break into RDP, they can actually buy access to RDP. Uh, I was looking at some numbers, and you can buy access to RDP systems for like $3 a pop. And so if uh, if uh, they're not able to break into your RDP systems, they can buy credentials for RDP systems. So that's like a number number one uh, infection vector to break in. The second thing that we see consistently is uh, phishing attacks. Uh, send this, you know, they usually send out a very innocuous little email. Click on it, boom, you're done. Like you know, leverage client-side vulnerabilities in browsers. Um, to own the systems. And the last one is just just basic uh, software vulnerabilities in internet facing assets like the SSL VPNs that are really good um uh target for um, for ransomware attackers and, you know if we start to understand that these are these are the these are the common vectors that are ransomware attackers and distributors are using organizations would be in a much better shape to prevent uh, uh prevent attacks uh from uh, ransomware you know there, there is a famous quote which is well known which is <laughs> um what is it an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure oh, a pound of cure ransomware. yeah yeah, and I think the ransomware um, story. I mean, you know, based on the attacks we're seeing, um, you know, prevention is uh, prevention is is definitely better than cure. Because by the time they have attacked your system, you, you know, we've seen a lot of vendors coming in and saying, "Oh, well, we can, you know, we can stop ransomware attacks, we can stop the propagation, and so on." But you know, the fact that they're already in that defeats the purpose. You could take some actions on your end. To take some preventative uh, steps so that the the basic infection and the eventual propagation could be limited or stopped.
4: But has, yeah, it, have a, quick, hasn't this quick always been? Can. Hasn't Go this ahead. always has, been the same recommendations that we've been giving? Like, there's nothing new here from a security standpoint. Like, secure your RDP, put multi factor out there, have good passwords, prevent password <clears throat> spraying, watch for breaches. Stop lateral movement, have different local administrator passwords. Like these are things that have been harped on for multiple decades. The fact that ransomware is leveraging them, I think, speaks more to the fact that we're not learning our lesson around the fundamentals. And we're trying to put blinky boxes around a problem that should be solvable and should be solved in today's Threat landscape and security maturity. For I, I do not
5: agree more. I mean, my my sense is ransomware is essentially monetization of poor cyber hygiene. So if you if you do if you do the basic cyber hygiene, hey, wait, say
0: that again. That was beautiful the way that you said that. <laughs>
5: um, I, I
0: don't mo- want mo- to say Monetization that. of of poor
2: ransomware is hygiene. the is monetization, you Ron- Yeah,
5: ransomware is monetization, monetization of poor of poor cyber hygiene cyber. and. Hey you know like tyler said these these are not super complicated steps you know the 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 things that have been said over and over again you know make sure you understand where your assets are make sure which what assets are exposed to the internet are there assets exposed to the internet with vulnerabilities on them uh, if there are you know prioritize them patch them you know make sure you have backups make sure you have antivirus software installed and none of this is like rocket science if you do cyber if you follow the basic steps of cyber hygiene really well um uh, i'm not. I, i don't want to say that you can stop ransomware attacks but it can at least prevent the rapid spread of ransomware attacks once it gets in if you have the basic security controls in place for example if you have rdp configured securely if you have your macros disabled or you have least privilege on your accounts and so on it definitely helps reduce the spread of ransomware um, attacks so if i can jump in with my
2: question
0: yeah,
2: go Did ahead, Jeff. You, um, I wanted to go back, Adrian. To I'm sorry, Mayhul. When you were uh, you know sort of describing the the three or four different vectors that you see, um, just as a curiosity, uh, you know, when you said you know obviously there's a lot of organizations out there that are falling victim to phishing attacks. Could you expand a little bit on they click on the attachment and it's all over? You know, are there typical uh, things that are happening at that point, and is it helpful for people to understand? Uh, you know, what are the three or five uh, you know methods or techniques that are typically happening once somebody clicks on the attachment?
5: Yeah. So what I what I've seen is uh, a, a very innocuous email will come in, and it will, you know, and you, and you click on it, install some kind of a remote access tool, and once it's in, you know, and th- that usually ends up. Exploiting a very well-known vulnerability. So they come in and installs a remote access tool. And then once it's installed, it looks for systems around uh, that system if uh, if there are vulnerable systems. They, I mean um, uh you know one common malware is TrickBot, and then TrickBot uses uh, the eternal blue and proxy log- uh, not proxylog all the eternal blue vulnerabilities. Uh, to propagate itself within the network. So these are very common, uh, you know, uh, next steps that happen as soon as you click in, the remote access tool is installed, uh, it starts to send, you know, there are, some, there are some tools that will start to record your uh, key, uh, you know, your keyboard, uh, send in the instructions uh, over to a command and control center. Try to break into other systems that are adjacent to your network and basically try to own the system. So, those are basic things you could do. I mean, you know, we talk about training uh, all the time. Don't click on uh, attachments that you are, uh, you know, that are not sent by uh, legitimate people or don't click on links that you don't know. But these things continue to happen every day and (laughs) ransomware is the name of the game today.
2: So, so let me ask you a a, um, disruptive question. Um, I would, you know, if we go on the premise that a lot of these ransomware attacks are somehow exploiting known vulnerabilities, and you happen to work for an organization that is, uh, you know, promoting tools to find these vulnerabilities, um, you know, what, what degree is Qualys trying to come up with a new way of uh, you know, detecting and preventing ransomware attacks versus encouraging your customers to simply patch the crap that you've been finding already for them. You know, with their with their Qualys scan engine. Uh, you know, for years and years. You know, wh- where's the balance between? You know, we've been telling you the answers all along. Why don't you just fix the daggone things? Versus, we need to come up with a new way and clever and sexy and way of saying we we've solved the ransomware exercise problem. And right. <laughs>
5: exercise and eat right. <laughs> exercise
0: and eat right. Yeah, I don't do
2: that. Uh,
5: that's a that's a great question, and you know we we have been looking at this ransomware issue on our end as well. Uh, Our researchers were looking at it um, over the last, I would say, a year or so. And one thing we realized is, obviously, there are hundreds of thousands of vulnerabilities. Not all of them are vulnerabilities that are um, exploited by ransomware. Based on, you know, we did an in-depth analysis uh, earlier this year. Uh, our researchers looked into it. What they found was if you go back maybe five or 10 years um, and you look at all the major ransomwares like Bad Rabbit, WannaCry, Server, Lucky, Dark Kingdom, um, Black Konga, whatever it is. I mean, there are so many of them. So we went back and we uh, we looked at all these major uh, ransomware families or ransomware distributors. What we found out was uh they're not they're not using uh zero days uh to break in they are using very well known vulnerabilities in fact the number of vulnerabilities they typically end up using is around 110 CVEs so we looked at it. We looked at uh, all the ransomware uh, related vulnerabilities that are used to break in, and that is about 110 CBAs. Not a lot. And lo- a lot of these are uh, five years old, eight years old. You know, it goes back to ms 17010 It goes back to... M- uh, there are some vulnerabilities for, from 2015 and 2013, and they continue to have uh, success uh, exploiting these vulnerabilities. So, so college's point of view is, um, you know, again, going back to the prevention side of things, before you can do anything about it, you need to have visibility into your answer exposure. Like, how, you know, if you are if you have hundreds of thousands of vulnerabilities, you know, from a visibility perspective, which vulnerabilities do I need to prioritize? And Collis has done some really good work on, on that. From in terms of giving visibility to our uh, to our customers, hey, by the way, these are these are the vulnerabilities that are leveraged by uh, by ransomware, and um, uh, you know, if, as part of your prioritization process, patching process, make sure these are already already uh, patched. The second thing you know, we are doing is um, we are also um, we're taking a lot of guidance from really good organizations that are out there, like CISA and NIST. They have been putting out some best practice guidelines on uh, the basic things that you need to do as part of your cyber hygiene. You know, make sure RDB is configured properly. Uh, you know, fire out your outbound firewall rules are configured properly, and so on. So we've taken that information as well and um, basically mapped it into technical controls that customers can then assess their configuration of their assets to to start to operationalize a security program around preventing uh, ransomware. Um, And, uh, you know, we believe that, you know, prevention is definitely better than cure and uh, giving customers the visibility would go a long way in in terms of protecting them from ransomware-related attacks,
0: yeah, and and yeah, the CISA, you know, you know, we've got benchmarks from, um, you know, CIS. Um, you, you know, again, you, like it's re- it's really boring. Like the answer to, <laughs> to this question of ransomware <laughs> is is just it is. You know, people are probably tired of hearing it, but, um, but I, I, you know, I think part of it is that the basics, though they are basics or fundamentals, whatever you want to call them, yeah. you know, just because we call them fundamental and, and basics doesn't mean they're easy. You know, it's it, you can make all kinds of uh, connections to things like martial arts, you know, like, like um, you know, spending spending years and years just learning basics, you know, kind of building your way up there. Um, and it's Adrian- it's it's the. What it's is the basic? What's it, fundamental. It, it, it's it's hard <laughs> to harden stuff. Basics, it's hard please? to lock stuff I out. I keep hearing that. Yeah. So so I mean you know just turning off services you're not using. Yeah. Uh, I think over fifty percent of ransomware out there uses the actual built-in Windows API uh, to generate those keys that they use to encrypt your data. They're using your system to do that. Researchers have actually built software applications that just record all the keys created. Within that Windows system, and, and most of the time, they're able to decrypt the data themselves because the ransomware is generating it on that system. So, so if I you know, turn if,
3: off the services that aren't being used, I'm done. That's the fundamentals.
0: No, no, <laughs> no. Of course not. No, that's why we're talking about CISA, uh, you know, and and CIS benchmarks. Like if you've read through the CIS benchmark for Windows. You know, that, that's that's a long, painful process to go through there and choo- pick and choose what you're going to use, what you're not going to use. If, if this, you follow the CIS 100%. benchmarks 100%, you have a non-working system. You know, so it, it's that's the hard part is figuring out, you know, okay, what can we turn off? What what can't we, you know, oh, something broke. You know, it's just a constant process of, of tweaking things and, and reducing that attack surface.
5: The, and that's one thing we have seen as well. There is no shortage. There is no shortage of um, best practice guides. There is no shortage of PDF guides on how to protect yourself from a ransomware. It, I think the thing that is lacking is, okay, what does this mean to me? Which specific control do I need to apply? What is the thing I need to do on my system? I'm already logged into. What, what is this thing that I need to disable? Uh, I think there is there is an opportunity for vendors to come in and basically translate that into something that is much more technical than, so that organizations can take steps around it rather than, you know, maintain backups and, you know, do training and, and you know, disable or, you know, harden your RDP and so on. Um, that is one area I think uh, security vendors need to do a better job in making this more actionable so that, you uh, Customers and organizations don't have to deal with hundreds of what you're
2: pages. what you're implying, Mayhole, is that is that uh you know I forget your exact phrasing, you know, basic cybersecurity hygiene isn't fun, isn't sexy, is boring, uh, and nobody likes to do it. Is that the main reason why companies
5: don't do it? No. I I don't know why they don't do it. I was looking at some of the numbers like you know Collis has uh, we've been looking at some of the numbers in terms of uh, just the patch cadence. Um and uh, the average time to patch vulnerabilities is 194 days. Uh, based on the research that we've done, and I, I'm like, which in which world is this acceptable? Like, in which world yeah. is 194 days to patch a vulnerability acceptable? And that's the that's the average. So there are there are situations where it is way higher um, than 194 days. Um, so I don't know. I don't know why organizations are not uh, uh, patching more frequently or doing these the basic steps of cyber hygiene, taking them more seriously. Uh, part of the problem could be the tools are not uh, conducive to do that. Uh, there are some uh, certain aspects that could be automated and should be automated, um, but maybe the tools are just not there yet. and, uh, and that's, a, that's a gap that uh, security vendors need to fill. Uh, I, think the
0: one's
2: that, I, I have an I have an idea for for you and your your uh, product marketing team at Qualys. You should set up your your Qualys engine to if it's if it's finding vulnerabilities that are old or they've previously found on previous scans, lock the damn tool and tell the customer we'll unlock your tool once you've actually patched this vulnerability.
0: <laughs> so in terms of
3: just to be clear, Jeff, you've just stated that they should turn Qualys into ransomware. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs>
4: yeah. but, you know. ransomware is a vendor. Like, there's a difference. Let's be real here. I think. <laughs> you know, think, but it, <laughs>
2: it's a lesson. I mean, yeah, you, know, you could wait 30 seconds and say, "Just kidding." Here's the rest of your report.
5: When you bring up an interesting show. point, we actually uh, introduced a capability not too long ago this week, where uh, we automatically patch vulnerabilities. Uh, for Organizations they can come in and define the criteria for. Um, for vulnerabilities like you know, you know, I was talking about phishing attacks, right? They usually use uh client software to um, to exit this client-side vulnerabilities to uh, ex- uh to break into systems. Um, you know, you don't need a service now ticket to patch a Firefox vulnerability or a Google Chrome vulnerability. These are things that can be easily patched with uh without any interaction. With the IT teams, you know, patching is in in some ways patching is difficult because you need to get the right approvals. You need to have the change management right. in place and so on and so forth. So there are certain the applications that could be just go ahead and patch it, I mean you don't have to wait for um, you don't have to wait for uh, approvals and whatnot. So you know, we that's, that's so we don't actually and, lock the systems, but we do go ahead and patch the systems uh, if you define the right criteria. So in fact, like you you could in call this, you could now say you know ransomware. Patch any vulnerability that is related to ransomware, and boom, just go and patch it for you um, in the next uh, patch cycle. And, but-
0: and Mayhu, you you make a good point there. You know that I want to expand on a little bit. You know, talking to organizations, you know that I think are a little bit um, forward thinking here, or at least trying new things. Um, you, you know, I talk to people where their patching process is is measured in terms of of hours. Um, and and they, they are going full auto on releasing patches. They're not testing them first. Um, they're automating it as much as possible because to them, you know, they, they'd rather deal with a patch breaking something, you know, than not patching something and, and having a cyber incident. Uh, so, you know, we we are seeing people doing that, you know, that, that are saying, you know, let's flip this risk. You know, instead of waiting for a missing patch or a vulnerability to show up on a scan report... We see organizations that don't really use vulnerability scanning at all, you know, maybe once a quarter to catch stuff that falls through the cracks because they've redone their patching process to where it's as automated as possible, uh, you know, across the board.
5: No, I mean, definitely small agree stuff. on the on the uh, you know, but there is always going to be some systems that require some kind of change control. You know, the servers, the databases, you know, the networking devices, and so on. So I, I believe those would continue to have some kind of handholding that will be required, but there is a large sure. body of applications that should not that should not require a scan report to tell you these are the vulnerabilities you need to patch. I mean, you just set them on auto update or, uh, you know, like in in our case, you know, set it to zero touch patching and we'll go and patch it for you. And uh, before the security guys come knocking, you know, the IT guys are ahead of the security guys, fixing things left and right.
0: I'm going to back up my across the board statement. You're right. You know, servers, uh, you know, especially servers that are, uh, you know, not like cloud instances or something like that. Um, you know, are going to be handled differently than workstations. But yeah, certainly workstations, Firefox, Chrome patches, stuff like that, um, client side stuff. You know, the the risk is much lower to automatically patch at that level, which is why Microsoft today gets away with automatically rebooting people's systems. You know, to to apply patches.
4: That was a, those that was are a big change. Really that's also a very small subset of of the threats and ransomware. Uh, at least for the new tactics, there's yes. people that are operating and changing that tactic to you know the phishing to bribery uh, to the to the common ex- exploitation using exploitation even in pen testing. I mean, most of us don't do it and we hardly ever do it. So, what is the value return on investment for that patching uh, as a priority? Like again, we go back to like getting the basics right. That's, like you said, very difficult because we're running into the problem of everything is getting more complex, everything's starting to interconnect, and an operations team uh, doesn't get promoted by rebooting and uh, and patching things. They get promoted by having uptime and doing things and keeping sure. the business making money. And so security is not a priority. So that comes back to the main point of we have to shift the priority and the cultural mindset of why is it bad to have the patches applied 190 days later. These are the things that really start to matter and getting the basics right, uh, those are part of, uh, part of the general hygiene. We've had those for 20 years and it's not changed the industry. In fact, it's gotten easier with more technology, more capability, more visibility. All of those things have not helped that. So that means that you know our adversaries aren't getting better. They're using low end techniques, using all the same things. That means that we really have to adjust the one thing that we can control, which is shift the culture. Otherwise, this is not going to get fixed.
5: I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah,
0: yeah, if security is not a priority, uh, you know, and I've told a lot of people who have complained working for an organization, you know, that they just can't change hearts and minds. You know, I I don't know what you can do. You know, if, if, if it's not a priority at that level, you know, that's just tough to deal with. Um, but, yeah, to your point, Tyler, uh, you know, I think in the DBIR, uh, you know, the, the latest one, it's, it's 3%. Uh, you know, in, in the database of all the stuff they get in where, where they see exploits being used at all 3% of, of breaches. And, um, but the thing is, you know, 3% still equates to like thousands uh, of occasions. So you can't ignore it. You still have to patch, you know, if there's low hanging fruit there, you know, if you have RDP hanging out with a vulnerability on it, they'll use it. You know, they have automated scripts running that will just automatically exploit it and and get that foothold in, in the door or or use cred stuffing or, you know, uh, all these different techniques that are just low hanging
4: fruit. But, um, so still have but yeah, low hanging fruit stuff like vulnerability management, password hygiene. Like if you have a bad password, yeah. it's going to get popped. So you still have to do those those things that are necessary, such as vulnerability management and and exploit patching. But priority, again, we go back to like, how do we how do we make bigger leaps in a quicker, shorter time frame with less uh, help to do that? Yeah, exactly. And
0: I think that's it. Like you see organizations spending 70, 80 percent of their time on vulnerability management patching, and that's not a good use uh, of that security staff or their time. You know, I I think that needs to be the amount of time they're spending each week. Uh, on it, they they shouldn't have multiple meetings a week on it. They shouldn't be managing spreadsheets and things like that. Like that's the stuff that needs to go away and just minimize the labor spent on that stuff so that they can then focus on uh, you know on on actually hardening and Im- improving security of systems.
3: What is this improving security you speak of? Come on, We're not here to improve security. We're here to yell, name, shame, be nasty to people. That's what we're here for, man.
4: <laughs> or, yeah, we could help people, too, something like that, whatever. No, I mean, that's right, where Josh? pen testing got a bad name, right? Like, that's initially yeah. the problem with red teaming, with pen testing, with all the offensive space here. We've not spent enough time empathizing, sympathizing, looking at business risk, identifying and helping. We've put our ego in front of all that and done cool, sexy shit for, for a while that, yeah, used to make a difference. But, uh, one, we've lost our edge. Two, we've gotten to the point where we're doing... Uh, stuff because of our ego, and we want to prove the latest, coolest, stealthiest thing. That's not helping any customers. That's not proving. I've business literally, not
0: I've literally seen pen testers extend uh, an assessment just to get an exploit working. Just because oh, no, they, no. they I, felt I, like I, with I, another four or eight hours they could get that exploit working. Zero value to to
3: to the customer,
0: you know. But it was just important to them.
3: Well, come on. Uh, okay, I'm I'm going to back you up just a step because let's be clear here. For how many years, if you didn't get in, you weren't finishing the pen test. You were failing as a pen tester. And now it's in the last so few mostly years, it's become much mind, more healthy. Josh. What's that? Mostly in your mind.
2: I mean, if you followed a methodology and the company
3: was actually fairly decent. No, there's a I lot see. of companies that for many years, if you didn't
4: get in, you were a failure. I call those pen tests puppy mills then like the maturity of the offensive space has grown so much and our ego has had to step down so that we can actually help bring big customers and do big things in a security maturity model. There's no room for that. And those companies stand out very, very clearly, right? Like we have to adapt to this where we're providing value.
3: Tyler, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I agree with you. You're absolutely correct. I I know you are. But my point is, and, and and to be honest, any pen tester that feels that if they don't get in, they're failing, no offense, but grow up a little bit. Because realistically, there's times when we need to tell our customers, Hey, you're doing a really good job. I'm very impressed. Let me show you the parts where I think you're the weakest. Let me show you the parts where I think you're the the strongest. But I'm very impressed with how strong your security is and how things are going. It it, it is time to understand that our job is not to break in and and you know, strut in, you know, I broke in, I've domain admin now, drop the mic and walk out. You know, our part is to work with them. To make sure that they understand where they're doing really well, where maybe they can improve things that you think, hey, you know, th- this could be better, and blah blah blah, and and then it's time to be part of the defense as well as representing the offensive actors.
4: Well, that requires us to keep our edge and make sure we got that mindset set up properly and reframing the the problem, right? If. In a pen test, if if you guys give me full carte blanche to go do whatever I want, I'm always going to get in. I'm going to get in fishing. I'm going to get in physically. Like I don't care how good your security is. Like Enough time and money, I will get in. So really reframing that so what's the value, the return on investment, how are we going to help the company and the business a- and adjust this so that we're making security progress in a meaningful manner with the time and budget that we have to operate in, which is usually very small – so that is kind of the shift in mindset where they always get in like, that's just time, money and resource. Like we'll do that, but that's not useful. And I think we've gotten past that and you're, you're right on. We have to change that for the customer and reframe that for the executives and get everybody on the same communication page so that they understand what makes a difference against ransomware. Things like uh, the reports and information out there is there's plethora's of information on how to do this. We're having to show the business uh, return on investment and the places to prioritize because there's not enough time, money, or people to do this in a short amount of time to get these companies up to snuff. It's not a, not a matter of information or or even companies to come and do the the adversary side. It's the problem of how do we get this done quickly in a meaningful manner. Well, yeah, so I was actually
0: I was a guest on Policy Security wow. Weekly a couple of years ago, and, and the point I was making back then was that. You know, I was finding that people didn't necessarily need somebody to come in and do a pen test to prove. I mean, in some cases, you you did need that light bulb moment for somebody to say, OK, yeah, I, I admit there's a problem because you were able to do some stuff. But in most cases, they knew stuff was wrong. That's not the help that they needed. Uh, what they needed, what they couldn't figure out was how to fix it, you know, given the resources that they have, the skills and the people they have. Um, you know, how to, how to fix that at at a root level, at a fundamental level, you know, so again, like every breach that we, you know, that, that I take a look at, um, it's not a lack of technical controls, uh, that kills them in that breach. It's bad process in, in in most cases.
3: So, oh man, I could kiss you. To dovetail, to
2: dovetail what you were saying, Adrian, you're, you're sort of in the same, uh, train of thought that I was having to, you know, to take this back to Mayhul. And Qualys, who's representing, uh, and in no way, shape, or form, I'm picking on Qualys, but you know, as a as a tool that's very often considered by many of my clients to be, in my mind, in the category of one of those blinky light boxes, that you know, this is something that you got to have, got to use, you know, uh, you know, when I started pen testing many, many years ago, yes, we absolutely were trying to prove the point. You need to be secure. Look at all these different ways that we're getting in. Look at all these vulnerabilities, uh, you know, in process and procedure, as well as technical vulnerabilities, which in those days, frankly, they were more features than vulnerabilities. Um, But the, you know, the end game was, uh, you know, the pen test is what's getting the ball rolling. uh, And and to some degree, we've evolved so that the pen pen testing has become a vital part of, you know, measuring the effectiveness of your security program, at least in theory, yet it's very often relied upon, as are many scan engines, for vulnerability discovery and finding out, well, we think we're okay, tell us what's wrong, you know, enter the pen test report, enter the vulnerability scan report. Um, How do we get everybody beyond the notion that, you know, you've got, the tools in place you've got this kick-ass vulnerability scan engine that's that even now today is offering self-healing you know we'll fix the vulnerabilities when we find them so even more you don't have to think about it but we're sitting here talking about how companies more and more need to think about it and not rely on the automation i feel like we're we're spun around the axle somehow and somehow we need to step back and you know Customers of Qualys, they have a tool already that should be able to identify all the things wrong in their network that are going to make a ransomware attack work. Right. How do we get? How do we get companies so beyond
5: one, that? One unfortunate byproduct of ransomware attacks is that now, you know, these kind of things have board level visibility. I mean, I'm usually getting on calls with the CISOs and the executives of the TA of large organizations, asking for, in some cases, hourly updates on some of the major vulnerabilities that were breaking out. I remember recently, I think it was Omigard, or uh, there was some vulnerability in Azure. And within uh, as soon as that vulnerability was disclosed, I think within three hours, we were on a call with the customer explaining our detection logic, how we are going to cover, uh, you know, make sure all the vulnerable assets are um, are, are detected by calls and so on. So, um, because of these kind of attacks, I mean, it's unfortunate, but this is what has taken, this has, this is what it takes to get the level of uh visibility at a board level and you know I shouldn't be glad but I'm glad because now it is a big deal. I mean organizations are paying attention to these vulnerabilities and you know now the expectation from our customers. I mean I remember you know when I started in vulnerability management our usual scan cycles were once in a quarter, once in a month, once in two weeks and so on. And now it is not uncommon for customers to demand near real time visibility into the vulnerabilities uh, on their assets especially those that are uh, internet facing so know, it, it's it's not a good thing but you know these attacks have actually raised awareness at the higher levels to make sure these are prioritized and they're funded the right way and uh, you know uh, the security teams are taking the right steps and using the right tools to make sure they get the visibility
2: so but you're, yeah, you're yeah. highlighting, hold on, hold on, you're highlighting one of the points I'm trying to make, Mayhul, in that you're, and again, I'm not picking on Qualys, but generally speaking, most companies think of vulnerability scanners as sort of where they start with vulnerability management. I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw the PCI flag in here right now, where vulnerability scanning in PCI is happening way down in all the security stuff. The vulnerability management portion of PCI is where you have, you know, come up with your own risk ranking for vulnerabilities, have a patch program where you're patching critical patch, you know, patches that address critical vulnerabilities within 30 days of release, um, you know, secure code development, change management, change procedures, uh, monitoring your, you know, the 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 bulletin boards and the vendor notices for when vulnerability information and the subsequent patch information is released. There's, and I'm not saying PCI is right, but conceptually, as a as a, you know, if there's a if there's a a process, a cyclical process, a nature to this thing that we're calling security, uh, vulnerability scanning is not a part of it. It's an after the fact. How'd you do? And did you catch everything? Exactly. And it's a Jeff. safety net.
0: Yeah, yeah. If if the first place you find out that you're missing a patch is on a vulnerability scan, you're doing patch management wrong.
2: You're doing something wrong. Ex- yes, yes. Drink PCI and all that. Kind
0: of stuff. And, and and to make you know to to <laughs> harp on another point, yeah. I just I refilled my my glass of wine after you <laughs> you started invoking the PCI. But yeah,
2: um, I go hard when it comes to PCI. It, it, it,
0: To highlight another thing that you're saying, Jeff, is that um, another thing that we see when we study breaches is that, you know, the companies uh, and people who don't get breached is companies who do really well don't have a ton of tools. They have a small number of tools that do a lot of things, uh, but they use like 90, 95% of what those tools do, you know, versus you see companies with like 50 security tools and, and like half of them nobody 's really managing or understanding because it 's just too much overhead to to manage that many that many systems so it's it's and i 've heard this from uh engineers and and product managers at vendors you know bemoaning the fact that their their customers don 't use some of their you know most impressive and and useful and effective features and and, and I think that's that 's a challenge where you know we 've got billions in marketing you know, telling us to buy the latest new shiny thing. And, and a lot of people fall for it and do it. And, and in some cases, we see people buying stuff, features that they already own. And existing products that they own, they just haven't taken the time to explore those products and what they can do with them.
4: And to add to that, I believe that vendors, uh, especially of things like EDR products, are very, very good at finding, detecting uh Stopping uh, offensive tools that were designed for pen tests. A lot of the capabilities are built around uh, the, te- the detection of pen test tools or open source offensive tools, call it what you will. There's a lot less capability if you look at a lot of the ransomware and the phishing kits, the angler kits, uh, any of the ransomware groups. Out of the box, they're using cryptors, they're using packers, they're able to bypass all the EDR. Uh, when it when it's pretty hard to do that with most of the pen test tools. So does that mean that we're spending so much time and vendors are focusing so much on uh, showing that they're doing good security and able to stop uh, adversary simulation by catching pen tests, or are we actually focusing on catching the bad guys? Like, there's a problem here. There's a, there's a discrepancy yeah. in the gap.
0: So the funny thing is Haroon Mir gave this great talk um, in 2011, I believe it was, called uh, Penetration Testing Considered Harmful. And one of the key points he was making there was that pen testers weren't emulating adversaries. They were emulating other pen testers. So there's this whole game of, like, one-upmanship up upmanship, uh, within pen testing. And we've kind of ironically come to this place where when we look at what ransom what, – so, you know, separating from ransomware, these actual extortion campaigns where ransomware is just one step of a multi-step process – you know, they're, they're actually ransomware crews are hiring pen testers, you know, that have gone out and and gone through pen tester training and gotten pen tester certs and, and to the point to where they're literally using the same tools as pen testers. Like we're seeing well, I mean, they, strike show up more and more in these tests. So we've kind of come right, around exactly. full circle where, where now that talk that Haroon was giving, you know, now attackers are emulating pen testers. Because they are pen testers in some cases because they can make ten times as much uh you know hacking for the bad guys
2: well and the 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 uh, uh, allegory is not the right word uh, the, it's similar to the way so much of our educational system is now teaching children to pass the the standardized tests or what we commonly refer to teaching to the test right I, I mean it's it's the same exact, exact thing it's it's a really on. good Analogy, yeah. Analogy—that's the word I'm looking for.
4: Uh, that's also a problem that, like, we can't overcome. Like, offensive tools are needed. We need the off sh- off the shelf. If you're doing pen tests, if you're doing offensive work, like these tools have to be a capability. We just need the the vendors to not focus on them quite as much, because there's tools out there that these groups are using that are not pen test tools. Like, there are a lot using Cobalt Strike. There's a lot using some of those. They have kits, though. They have th- that are doing different things. But the fact that they're detecting those, like as as pen testers we really need to be the on the same side and working with these vendors and not having them detect the tools and work on the behavior more. We're at a precipice where you're right we we can't go and use malware We're not going to go and bring malware into a customer's environment and use it for testing, so we have to have these offensive tools. This is part of the game, but we need to stop focusing so much on detecting individual tools and detect capabilities and work on the fundamentals that actually stop all the tools by doing good cyber hygiene, right? Like, that's back to the same point of getting the fundamentals right.
2: Which, if we can take it back to Maple... (laughs) You know, I, I I would think that Qualys, as a as a company that's putting out products that you know by design, find the problems that companies are going to fall prey to ransomware. I, I would think it's is equally, if not important, to try to you know whether it's better training or better marketing or better educational awareness. Uh, you know, training your users to make sure they're using the tools well, convince them, no, th- these results really are real. You really need to do something about them. But I would think trying to make sure they're getting the use out of the existing products is, is equally as important, as, if not more important, than coming up with a, a feature that you can label as, you know, here's the ransomware button, push this, and, you know, we'll find all the ransomware stuff and and help you prevent it. That's just my take help
5: you know, but uh, i mean we've added our share of ransomware buttons in the product uh mm-hmm. and uh i think we'll have to do it as as these attacks increase but one thing i will say is we're also investing in you know like you said jeff we're also investing in just making uh, the workflow simpler so that customers can better understand the capabilities of the product and and use them, you know, these are capabilities that are built in year or two years now and to basically make better use of the products and the capabilities that have been shipped in the coolest, uh cloud platform. I mean, we have over uh, 20 applications on the cloud platform today. You know, we started with VM, we added policy compliance, we added fire integrity monitoring, EDR, um, patch management, and many more. And So one of the challenges we now have is like how do we get it to the point where customers can use these capabilities that we are shipping? And usually this is just the single agent. So one thing that we've consciously uh, done is to not force uh, you know, organizations to deploy different set of solutions for different use cases. So in our case, you <laughs> are using the same agent to satisfy one or more use cases like VM patch management, policy compliance, and so on. And uh, we are actually investing time to make sure that uh, our workflows are simple and easy to use, so that they can they can leverage the capabilities that are already in the in the platform.
0: I imagine that's a huge customer success challenge, Mehul, uh, to get people to use some of those new features as as you add them in.
5: Exactly, and you know, and we cannot just add them. And we have to prompt them. We have to guide them. They need to understand what is the what is the value for them it, because even if you add a workflow which is two or three minutes long they still need, before they can invest that time they need to know what is the outcome that i'm going to get by following this workflow so that is something that falls on the product marketers and product managers to do a good job with their existing products but that's something we have started to invest our time in basically educate our customers what capabilities exist in the platform
0: so that workflow piece you you talked about is that like a soar type uh, product
5: within the platform? So you know, that is a bit far further out. This is just using our existing product, <clears throat> like you know, basic help guides on um, oh. uh, how to use the product. You know, giving prompt. Okay, now you know you, now that you've created a policy, you now click here, and now you can you know select these options and. This is how you prioritize. This is how you run a scan, and so on. So that is all baked into the product. Historically, these kind of things have been um, put in a documentation or a PDF uh, file um, for customers to look at. But I think more and more now vendors are realizing we should be front and center in terms of uh, when the customer is using the product. They sh- we should guide them into some of the things that are already possible, so that they can use it as part of their jobs.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, is, is there any one particular feature, or um, you know, you're talking about all the different applications within the platform that you feel is is most underutilized that that uh, customers need to to take a closer look at?
5: I think, I mean, the prioritization is definitely something uh, customers need to take a better look at. I mean, we continue to invest a lot of time in helping customers prioritize the right set of vulnerabilities i mean you know we are talking about ransomware uh, today a few years ago it was malware before that it was exploit kits before that it was you know um, you know exploits in the wild and exploit DB exploits and so on so those things keep changing and as the as the trends change we also obviously adapt our product to uh, account for the industry changes. So we've invested a lot of time, and you know we, are, we have more capabilities coming into the platform, which will help customers better prioritize their vulnerabilities. Um, and that's definitely something is getting used. But I think customers can do a better job there, rather than just relying on something like a CVSS score um, to prioritize the right set of vulnerabilities. I see still see customers uh, and organizations use CVSS. You know, it's a good thing. It has, I think, it has. Um, it is time to to bring in a better form of prioritization than CVSS. <laughs> I,
0: what I heard is CVSS is dead. I, I think that's what you said, right?
5: <laughs> CVSS has, the people have said CVSS is dead for years now. And you know, <laughs> everyone, they're worth their salt, continues it, to say it, CVSS it, is dead. It's,
0: it's <laughs> part it, of that prioritization algorithm, right? Like, it's part of it.
5: It is. And so, well, yeah, it is part of it. It is not the prioritization. The way we look at it is... Uh, it is a component of prioritization. It is not the entire prioritization. Yeah. <clears throat> in a simpler way, is you know, my view is CVSS is a uh, you know, is a representation of the technical risk of the vulnerability, not necessarily uh, the criticality of that vulnerability to your organization. Right? <clears throat> so CVSS needs to be factored in as part of your prioritization, but that doesn't need to be the is it it isn't the holy grail people think it is. It is not the only thing May. you do for this issue.
2: You know, Mayhul, uh, version version three came out when I when you and I I think we're both still at Tenable, and I actually think version three of CVSS attempts to to take all the other things that we're talking about into account. I I think the problem at the problem is you can't let a third bot, third party arbitrarily, you know, set the scores and values for you because that's something that's it's personal. It's 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 unique for you, every you organization. You got to use the
0: temporal and environmental, right? Right.
2: You know. So in, in that light, I don't think CVSS is dead. I think it's in, it, perhaps it's a little bit overcomplicated, over over intellectualized, but as a framework for. Telling an organization, you here's the kind of things you should be thinking about in terms of prioritization that, you know, really are things that you need to decide. Don't let a tool tell you, um, you know, again, a PCI plug PCI introduced this idea of prioritization back in, in 2010. Uh, with nineteen uh, ten, it was either 2000, 2010 or two thousand thirteen. It was either the I get my, you know, PCI was first uh, on 10. this thing.
4: Yeah, I think wrong, it was 10. but
2: I think I think it was ten with version two, where they they introduced the idea of come up with your own risk ranking. Yes, and base, yeah, and I was base all your it. actions I was off USA. Of
0: then, yeah.
2: Yeah, yep. so this is not a new idea. It took it took the vendors a while to catch on, and, and it certainly took my clients a, a while to catch on to. No, th- don't just use the CVSS score that's being published by right. whatever scan engine you're using. Actually take a look at what it is and, and how it's exploitable and you know, is an Internet-based attack really something you need to worry about if you're looking at a system that's 17 layers deep in your network.
5: Exactly. Context not, is
0: important.
2: Notwithstanding what Tyler can do you do to you to get there, but you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying.
5: I mean, one of the challenges with CVSS version three is um, not all, I mean, it is obviously included in the recent vulnerabilities, I would say three or four years ago that have been published, but if you go back to older vulnerabilities, you know, I guess to thousand fifteen or two thousand sixteen, the CVSS S S three score doesn't exist. So there are still a lot. There is still a large number of vulnerabilities that don't have a uh S S three score. The other challenge mm-hmm. I have, and and you know, I'm pretty sure every other vendor runs into this as well. Like you know, I I remember in, in, in my days at Tenable, we used to spend I don't know hours debating on how to rank and score <laughs> a CSS, You know, you know which factors are included and so on. But then eventually NIST would come out and as part of the NVD database, it would have its own CVSS um, score. And then there would be always disputes with customers. And well, NIST is saying this is a 7.5. Why are you saying it's a 5.0? Um, so I think the best vendors have essentially given up and now say, you know, we'll go with whatever NVD has to say about the CVSS. Um, it's just too much back and forth in terms of agreeing and disagreeing on the CVSS scores.
0: All right, so... Focus on uh, on vulnerability prioritization. Yeah, and, and, and it's there, um, and it's uh, and, and you should use it. Mayhul, thank way. you for joining us
5: on on Paul Security Weekly today. Hey, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here with all of you. Thank you.
2: Good to see you again, Mayhul. As
0: always,
5: same here. Bye. Make sure you visit
0: securityweekly.com forward slash Qualys to learn more and you can sign up for a free trial there. Pretty easy to sign up for. I've actually done it recently as we are testing Qualys in our labs right now. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to talk with private investigator Whitney Smith of the Smith Investigation Agency.